Hello, movie lovers. Welcome home. My name is Amy Henserling, and you are listening to Watch This List. This is my second unplugged series focusing on hidden gems. And today I have special guest, Matthew Ramsey, who uh, I have met on Letterboxd for, I don't know, it was a while ago, right, Matthew? Like, that we've been connected on there. Yeah, it's been a while. I would say it's been at least a year, but it could be less. It feels like it's been a year. It feels like it's been about a year since I've seen you. Matthew is uh, very distinctive on Letterboxd because not only does he use emojis in his reviews, but he has them in his name, too, which is something I don't often see. I know Cormac has, like, a crown in there. But but a lot of people don't use them, like, in their – near their avatar, like, in their sure. name. Yeah. So yeah. Matthew, what, uh, what made you do this? I'm, I, I didn't really tell you I was going to ask you this, but what, what is, uh, I'm curious, is it just a stylistic choice that you enjoy? Yeah. Um, it's something that I picked up on other people, you know, a few other people doing it on Letterboxd as I was starting out, like, uh, my Letterboxd friend Camelot and, or Cam mm. at other times. So yeah, I think it's just, yeah, for a while it was just my name, and then I just thought, "Oh, I can do that. I can have emoji, you know, emojis in there." So I just had to have fun with that. Just add some color, some yeah. personality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Change it, change it according to season or holidays. And then you have them like interspersed in your reviews as well. Do you do you like? Does this change the way that you write at all, or the way that you think when you're writing? I'm curious because no. I never do this, but I find it fascinating. That is fascinating. Um, it's a good question. It's something I've done ever since I started doing reviews on Letterboxd. And um, mm. I think it just um, it's just an extension of my style of writing on Letterboxd, which is just doing what I feel like doing in my review. You know, it's not just uh, taking something from other people's reviews that, you know, or doing what other people are doing. It's like my criteria... Pr- for my reviews is this is my review. So let me just put some emojis up here. Let me just put a fun comment here, an analytical thought there. So it feels very true to to yourself. Like you feel like it's like your unique self-expression. Yeah. And yeah, as long as I don't get in my own way, which sometimes I tend to do, I'm an overthinker (laughs) at times. So Mm. I think that's always the goal for it's just to express myself and to get better at that with every review, just to, uh, un, you know, peel back the layers. Do you ever feel like, like, does the do, does the type of movie that you're reviewing affect what you do? Like, if you watch something that was like really serious or like a different genre, do you feel like you approach it differently, or is it the same every time? Uh, mostly, it's the same. Um, I, I will say if it's a very serious movie or a movie that has really um, affected me emotionally, deeply, or mm. just, you know, something that kind of made me, uh, yeah, speechless. Like recently, I just uh, I watched The Whale, which I know is not a very uh, yeah universally liked movie. Like even those who like it say it's also kind of a depressing watch. So. Um, mm-hmm. It was a lot to process, to say the least. I just, I wanted to post something, but I just ended up doing a, like a 
short review with one, two, maybe three sentences at the most, and no emojis at all. So I was just like, you know, just wanted to let you know the four stars are on here because I do unironically like the movie, but, you know, I just can't say much of it right now. Because it was just so impactful. Yeah. Yeah, overwhelming. Yeah, and, and yeah, I'm not saying it's a perfect movie either, but that's another discussion. Uh, right. Yeah, it's just... There's also some personal things that stirred mm. up in my mind as well. So that's just right. something to be saved for another post down the line. I understand. Like sometimes things are just so fresh mm-hmm. that you just, you don't, you feel like you ha- almost have out of like a sort of self-protection, even like you have to kind of step away, feel the emotion and then come back to it when you're a little bit more calm or logical about it. Yes. Yeah. I understand. I still have yet to see that movie. I I wanted to watch it last week because uh, I saw that it was for rent finally on Amazon. So I'm going to have to do that sometime soon because I that one, Aronofsky is often polarizing. So it makes sense that that would be that way because Mother, I absolutely loved and a lot of people hardcore hated it. So, <laughs> I, still, so. I still need to check out more of his filmography. I've only seen... The mm. whale, pie, and oh Earth yeah, pie. So I have not seen Mother or the rest of them, or like Black Swan. No, uh, I want to see the, I want to see the Red Shoes first, which I've now done. But you know, yeah, Black Swan is closer. Oh me. yeah, well, and and he took a lot from. Uh, have you heard of the movie Perfect Blue? Perfect Blue. That, it's an I've anime, not an anime, but I mean, it's a, it, it's a. God, I guess it is an anime. I'm going to yeah, get cream uh, for this. I think I do know what you're talking about. I have not seen it. I've heard of it. Okay. Well, Perfect Blue is more like – the Red Shoes is also, but Perfect Blue is like almost – he, he took like actual scenes and, and plot directly from it. Like the director of Perfect Blue, I think it's Satoshi Khan, was kind of – angry about how faithful it was actually. So that one might be a good one just so that you can be like, Oh, well, uh, <laughs> that was kind of a, a little bit of a ripoff Japanese animated psychological thriller. Yeah. Satoshi Khan. I wanted to make sure that I was right about that because I didn't want to get killed. I'm forming a little, um, I mean, it's probably not going to happen in the near future, but I'm performing a little lineup for some point in the future. Perfect blue. Black Swan. Mm. And there's another movie that was mentioned in the comment section for the Red Shoes. I forget what the name of it is, but yeah, so. Yeah. If you yeah. want to be really sufficiently depressed and uh, think about the plight of the uh, female ballerina okay. or actress. There you go. There you go. So. <laughs> I'll prepare myself. So, yeah. And that one, uh, Perfect Blue is kind of a hidden gem too. So that's that's on topic. I'd recommend anybody see that one. That that was um, very uh, pivotal for me in terms of like I hadn't ever seen anything like it before at the time. Um, like hadn't really been exposed to anime at all or um, movies like Akira, like that have a depth to them, like that. So it was really special. Um, so Matthew, your movies today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think what we'll do is we're going to talk about, we're going to go in reverse chronological order, if that's okay with you. Okay. 
So we're going to start with your the more recent one, which was in 2012, uh, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, uh, directed by and written by uh, Loreen Scafaria. Mm-hmm. And uh, this one stars Steve Carell and Kira Knightley, as well as an assortment of tons of people that we like recognize from NBC shows. Yeah, uh, I mean, we could sh- tell you a few other names, but... We also need to mention that everybody else in the movie has less than, like, no more than five minutes of screen time at the max. Right. It is, it's definitely feels kind of road trip in that sense. Like, uh, a way we go is structured like that, where it's like people going from place to place and meeting supporting characters and then heading on to the next one, sort of like an odyssey. Uh, But it, okay. So, my first question to you is, uh, how would you describe this movie to someone who hasn't seen it? Oof. Um, I would describe it as, well, I would mention the premises. Um, Steve Carell plays this man. Well, okay, it's set against, um, so it's modern times, and the people are told that uh, an asteroid named Matilda is about to <laughs> impact Earth and wipe out all life as we know it. And it's a comedy, and it's a <laughs> romance of sorts, although I wouldn't put it in that box. I say it, it's kind of a weird love story in a way it's not – it doesn't uh, evolve as you might think. It's about relationships in general, about relationships, mm-hmm. relationships between two strangers or uh, you know, parents and children or, you know. Really, a lot of things. I like that it's it's an apocalyptic movie. You know, it's a movie mm-hmm. about the end of days, the last two or three weeks of human life. But it's not an action movie. It doesn't even show you the asteroid. It's a movie that focuses on real people that you see in your life. And you kind of see uh, different reactions to the last few days. Like, you see people who are just carry on their life as if it's still the same. Some people Mm -hmm. who are depressed and then there are people who just lose their minds uh, in, in all sorts of ways. Uh, And it's a cop. Yeah. So it's a, when you see Steve Carell in as the lead, you think it might be a comedy, which to a certain degree it is, but it's more like a dramedy. It's a drama and a comedy. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, in the case of one person that I talked to, I mentioned the name Steve Carell, and, and she's like, "Oh, I, I don't like, I don't like Steve Carell." And is she mean, American? No, 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 no. Yeah, she is American. But <laughs> I, think, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I like Steve Carell, but I do kind of. It is his stick about you know just kind of yelling or something does get a little. Uh, oh my gosh. Tired. How could anyone not love Steve Carell? I love Steve Carell, especially after watching this movie, which, let me just say, I mean, I like in this movie, he is a sad sack, which I think he's funnier as, you know, just in a more deadpan way, mm-hmm. um, in the way he delivers his lines, and the fact that he does get moments to shine uh, as, a dramatic, as a dramatic actor, but not in a mm. way that's like uh, Brando you know, yelling and you know, getting angry. It's more like, you know, just playing it straight, really. Uh, and against other heavyweight players as well uh, that we see in the movie. Right. Yeah. 
So it's kind it's kind of in his like Dan in real life vibe. Yeah. Uh, Which where I like. he's yeah, it, it, or it kind of reminds me of like how um, Will Ferrell was in Stranger Than Fiction. Like whenever these these guys sort of do serious roles, uh, you just see a different side. And Steve Carell is definitely more like dark humor here than mm-hmm. you know outrageous like Michael Scott. Yeah, um, and I think this was the first. Maybe if I'm not mistaken, this was the first movie he worked on after finishing his work on The Office. I think this was like yeah. mm, 2012. Yeah. 2012. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is kind of like a Peter Sellers vibe in this movie, I think. And just how he plays it low key at times. You know, I think you know, something kind of like being there, Peter Sellers to me. Oh yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, did this remind you at all uh, of don't look now that movie I thought sucked and I couldn't stand it, but the, oh, it does have some no. similarities. You mean don't look up? Don't look up. I'm sorry. Don't look now is fantastic. Sorry. Well, that's a movie. Don't I look up. Don't look at now. Uh, I've seen it once and I'm not looking at it ever again. Yeah. Don't look up. I do look down upon don't look up. Yeah. <laughs> well played, Matthew. Well played. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Apologies to everyone for don't, look, don't look now is a Roeg movie. That's fantastic. I'm oh. so sorry that I I mixed those two up, but continue, Matthew. Yes, don't yeah. look up. Yeah. Awful. Um, so yeah, uh, mm. if for anyone out there listening who likes the movie, power to We're you. We're sorry. We can be friends, but I am. I don't hate the movie. I mean, I just did not care for it really at all. Um, but it's a similar yeah. setup. It where a, a comet is coming and like we're all gonna die. What? How would the culture react? You yeah. know. So. Um, I so I first watched Seeking a Friend back in March of 2017. In fact, it's mm-hmm. been almost um, six years since I first watched that movie. Wow! Uh, I watched Don't Look Up around the time it was first airing on Netflix. So that Netflix, was, yeah, Netflix. That was like late December, or early January, and Melanie Linsky uh, pops up in that movie, and she's even in Seeking a Friend. So I think even That's before right. the movie. You know, don't look up into it. I'm just like, ah, I want to watch Seeking a Friend right now. Um, so mm. after being uh, not impressed that much with Don't Look Up, I watched Seeking a Friend later that day. And I even posted a little review oh. saying I watched Don't Look Up today. And I decided to watch Seeking a Friend. What are the odds, Matthew? I didn't know this beforehand. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Yep. incredible uh correlation there but i did think of that too so they're definitely they're definitely um tertiary but i i do think seeking a friend is better and it explores relationships in a more deliberate way like you said yeah two different movies that has to be acknowledged but um yeah just um don't look up i find kind of condescending uh you know maybe intelligent but yeah just very smug and just kind of really mm-hmm. people where seeking mm-hmm. a friend it's like it's this it's disgusting it's set against a yeah, the most hopeless situation you can imagine but there's something um comforting about the movie as well just like it's mm. more of a human eye-to-eye experience in my eyes so why do you why do you consider this 
a hidden gem? Like, what what about it? Like, why do you think it's more underseen or or that people it wasn't popular, even though it has so many famous people in it, and it's you know not too old. I mean, it's not really yeah. an old film, no. but yeah. What about it to you translates to that? Well, um, I know that upon during it. So, well, first of all, it was open during the summer of 2012. If you, and you're, if you're releasing a small, like $10 million budget movie, mm-hmm. uh, in the midst of like a season of $200 million blockbuster movies, you're going to get lost in the shuffle. I mean, that was the summer that saw the amazing Spider-Man, which debuted Andrew Garfield as mm-hmm. you have Marvel's, the Avengers, the dark Knight rises. Uh, I could tell you oh, the name of the Disney Pixar movie, and but why tell you the name when I could just tell you the brand, you know? Uh, and when Seeking a Friend debuted on uh, during its opening weekend, it was beat by a couple of movies. It was beat by uh, a movie called Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter or Slayer, mm-hmm. one of those two, and by that Disney Pixar movie. And the name of that one was Brave, which. It's not considered one of the greatest, but of the Pixar catalog. But that was the fact that the Pixar movie is enough to trump over the smaller movies, right? And I think also the mixed reception from people at that time uh, discouraged people from seeing it as well. I mean, it certainly did for me back when I was uh, determining what movies I see based on scores, just based on Rotten Tomato scores. It wasn't mm-hmm. just. Uh, it has like a 50, between 50 and 60% on Rotten Tomatoes then and now. And it's the same with audiences as well. I mean, so it's rotten on both cases. Um, and the overall feeling from the scores was like, uh, well, there were some good things in here, but ultimately it's just a disappointment. Like some people were really... Not, harsh. Yeah, some people were harsh. Some were just feeling underwhelmed or disappointed by the third act of the movie, uh, which is not the case for me. Uh, so there's that. And the run scores did uh, keep me from watching it for a certain time until hearing, uh, and I was listening to the song, The Air That I Breathe by the Hollies on YouTube one night. I scrolled down and looked at the comments and people were saying, oh, you know, I've seen Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. It uses bread and I'm just like, hmm, I'm intrigued. You know, and I saw it was yeah. on Netflix at the time. And that was the one thing that got me to just watch it the next day. And um, and I just want to say, you know, Seeking a Friend was like the big movie that put this idea through my stubborn head that I should never let scores uh, just keep me from watching a movie or to make me go see something. It's like, um, what's important is your own judgment, your own call. Um, I mean, just, I mean, I just wasn't expecting myself to be affected the way I was from a movie that had this underwhelming reception. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's an important movie to me in that way as well. Uh, I completely understand that too. Like where you, where you can sort of allow the popular opinion to sway you, or it could even be like in our case where we're in a community of cinephiles 
who have really strong opinions like we do. And um, a lot of times, I think more often than not, what happens is not that people are undermining, but they're overhyping. Mm. And then I see it and I'm like, oh, I feel bad that I don't like this. That happens more often to me than the inverse, like what you're describing, where it's like, somebody says something sucks and you're like, actually, this is really good. Yeah. Usually it's the opposite, but and then there, I understand. But there, are, I do have some of those cases where I'm just feeling underwhelmed by something while other people are just like, wow, five stars. And I'm like, I wish folks. Yeah. Yep. I, I, I totally understand that. And it, it also comes down to trusted sources, you know, like finding reviewers or like you and I both really love Ebert. Um, and so if you, if you can find friends or reviewers, critics that you trust who kind of align with your taste, uh, that's a little bit more of an assurance that, okay, like I'm more, I'm more apt to probably like this than not, but still, I mean, sometimes it's some things just hit you at different times. Yeah. And you know, just with any movie, good, bad, or somewhere in the middle, it's a risk to take it either way. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I know some people are just, they might make a big deal out of certain other movies and I have too, but you know, it's a risky either way you take it and you can just watch however much of the movie you want. You can turn it off after 10 or if you're a completist, you can see it all the way through and say, Hey, I've seen it. This is what I think, you know, you'll live. So is this one, so Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, is this a movie that you recommend to anybody? Like, do you feel confident in, in saying everyone should see this, no matter who you are? Yes, uh, I, but to a certain age group, perhaps. I think if you're... Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I'd say if you're at least uh, 14 or 15, then yeah, check it out. Um, or mm-hmm. probably better if you're an adult, like if you're 18. You know, if you have been out in the world, been out of school and you know, experience mm-hmm. reality, I think that will hit harder for some people as well. Um, right. So, yeah, I do recommend it to people because it does kind of have something. It has a little bit of everything, comedy, drama, um, yeah, not action, but, uh, I mean, there is a riot. But <laughs> it's, not, it's not Armageddon. It's definitely far from that. Um, right. But it, it's also something I want to say is um, I realized recently that this is kind of like, uh, this movie's like a classic Hollywood movie from the 20th century that has, that is living in the modern world. Like, it's a movie that really feels like it has a story. Like, I think with Steve Carell and the rest of the cast members, if you were looking at the credits, you think, oh, this is gonna be like, uh, I don't know, a Bridesmaids, you know, esque movie where people are just exchanging jokes to each other, you know, uh, I don't know. Kind of sketchy, like uh, SNL. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. So they might expect something like that, but, you know, with Seeking Your Friend, there's clearly a lot of thought put into it. And I've noticed new things every time I watch it, you know, visually or, uh, you know, on the level of its writing. So there's mm-hmm. something uh, delicate about it. And uh, in a way, it, I think, I, I haven't read any source confirming this, but I'm willing to think that uh, the writer and director, Lorraine Scafaria, had seen Casablanca and is a fan of the movie because 
Mm. I kind of detect some similarities. It's about you know, the guy, Steve Carell, is trying to help the girl, uh, Penny, played by Kira Knightley, get to a place where she can board a plane. And the story is set against this you know, kind of crazy uh, situation. And so I think, right. And there are other similarities, but parallels. But I'm going to stop myself there from saying too much. Uh, but yeah, I think there's kind of this uh, classic movie making feel to it in the style of filming to a degree and the writing as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Seeking a friend for the end of the world. Seeking a friend. See it. Seeking a friend. Yeah. See it. Uh, put some emojis in your review in honor of Matthew. If you do. <laughs> but uh, I had I I had seen that one before. And so this was a rewatch. I definitely liked it more this time. There's there is something kind of special about the ending. I felt differently about. So I'm I'm appreciative to you that I got to see it again. Matthew. Okay, so now your second one uh, is 1998's Dark City, uh, directed by Alex Proyas, and this movie is fantastic. Um, I watched this probably a decade ago, maybe a little longer, um, because it was on Ebert's Great Movies list, and definitely a hidden gem because not a lot of people have heard of it. It came out very shortly before The Matrix has a lot of Matrix-esque elements to it. I think they even use the same, some of the same sets and the same soundstage yeah. as, as them. Okay, so if you like The Matrix, which most people do, uh, this is definitely for you, but I'll let Matthew sell it. Go ahead, Matthew. So, yeah. I love it I'm so much. I'm glad that you brought up some of the stuff. Um, so when I first reached out to you, I mentioned the idea of watching Dark City, uh, I reached out to you a, a month before its 25th anniversary, which was right. February 27th. Uh, so it, it had already turned 25 years old on February 27th of this year. And um, yeah, and by the time it came out, uh, I mean, just to go ahead and answer your question of uh, why it's considered a hidden gem in the first place. Mm -hmm. I mean, number one, it's an original movie, and but when you see it, you think it, by the uh, cinematography and some of the uh, action, you think it was based on a graphic novel or a comic book, like comic book. Yeah, like a like uh, Sin City or Three Hundred or something. But no, this was a, a thoroughly original you know, um, piece of writing for the screen, and mm -hmm. in contrast to other. Uh, box office failures like The Rocketeer or uh, uh, Dick Tracy or Alita Battle Angel as a more recent example, those movies did have a uh, fan base to them prior to their releases, even though they didn't make a lot of money. Uh, but Dark City and it not being based on any source material, um, it was harder to sell it to people. And right. it was released in February of 1998. And by that time, a little movie called Titanic was still making the rounds in theaters. So there was that. Um, I mean, yeah. James Cameron, you know, wiping everybody out even then. Um, unstoppable. Unstoppable mm -hmm. force. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and yeah, this was really, I mean, 
the internet was still in its infancy, so their word of mouth couldn't spread uh, fast enough. You know? um, and but it's got some famous people in it. It's Rufus Sewell is the main character. But but uh, Rufus Sewell. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. So, but I gotta we gotta talk about him real quick. Okay, go ahead. Now go ahead. he's a great actor. I love him in this. Uh, uh-huh. But I think he's one of the reasons why he uh, why people haven't uh, checked this movie out because they recognize some of the actors on the poster. You know, Jennifer Connelly, uh, William Keeper, Hurt, yeah, William Hurt, Keeper Sutherland, Keeper um, Sutherland. Yeah, um, but yeah, Rufus Sewell. That's an, that's the kind of actor people are from might be familiar with, but they just don't know where they've seen him. But and just a kind of. Uh, let people know he's usually playing uh, the jerk or the bad guy in, in other movies. He's in A Knight's Tale, which I know you've seen, but I haven't. Um, he's He played Jasper in The Holiday. I like to say the way Kate Winslet says it. Jasper. Yeah. He was in the M. Night Shyamalan movie, Old, which was released you know, recently. Recent. Yeah. So he's been some notable projects, uh, but I think... He's kind of a Shakespearean actor, too. I mean, he was in Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet as Fortin Brass. Uh, I, I've seen him in a bunch of British, where it's like in an all-British cast. Not just, yeah, these are kind of American movies. But yeah, you're right. I think that was the same issue with The Rocketeer, mm. is that uh, Campbell was The Rocketeer, and he wasn't somebody as famous as like Harrison Ford was for Raiders. Or, you know, it, you don't have like a big name for the main guy, even though I think Rufus was perfect. Yeah, uh, casting. But you're right; it would have been hard to sell. Yeah, but it works. But it's a role. It's a casting choice that works very well for the movie because number yes. one, Rufus Sewell is still kind of a uh, well, not really a big name compared to the likes of, say, Johnny Depp or Tom Cruise, names that were considered for the role at the time. Um, mm. So when you see this movie, uh, and um, I'm kind of getting my head ahead of myself, but yeah, I mean, it works when you see the movie, you'll understand. But when you see Rufus Sewell in the movie, it works because you don't know who this guy is. Um, and he, his character is an amnesiac, so even he doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know who he is, yeah, correct, and, which is always a great way to start a movie, yeah, and yeah, so like the born identity, memento. Where where the guys like doesn't know who they are exactly, and they're trying to figure it out. Literally who though, um, who am I? Yeah. And so yeah, since not many people know about this actor, yeah, even they're wondering, okay, who is this guy? But even though, mm-hmm. and even those who do recognize him will probably remember him as like this bad guy in some other movies, like the ones I mentioned. And so when people say that he's suspected of murder in this movie, people are wondering. Well, he kind of has that look. Hmm. Killer. He could be the killer. Hmm. Where you don't really get that idea when you normally see like Keanu Tom Cruise or Tom Hanks in a movie. And it's like, no, mm-hmm. no, he's no, he's not gonna be. No, he can do no wrong. No, no wrong yeah. at all. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, no, that's that's a great point, and I think that I think that you're right. I think uh, just like seeking a friend, you pick two movies where the timing of their release really was very significant as far as why they were underseen, and even today, kind of got lost 
in because the Matrix became a whole franchise. Yeah. You know, yeah. so and then Dark City was IP, but it didn't go anywhere. And then I think it's kind of considered a cult classic at this point. Yeah. Like it does have somewhat of a following now. Absolutely. And uh, Roger yeah. Ebert, our idol, you know, he's uh, I think he's a big mm. part of that because I mean, he was he named this movie the best movie of its year above the likes of Saving Private Ryan and The Big Lebowski and many other things. So, yeah, and he even recorded uh, commentaries for the movies, you know, both of its DVD releases. So, yeah. So how did you see Dark City then? I know I saw it because it was on the great movies list. Did you see it that because yeah. of that too? Yeah. Okay. And was it fairly recently? No, I first watched it like back in 2016 or early 2017. But I think it was before... I saw Seeking a Friend for the first time as well. Um, mm. And I rented it on YouTube at that time. Uh, and I didn't know at the time it was showing the director's cut version, which we could probably get into at some point. But That's the one I saw recently, rewatched. Yeah. And I'll go ahead and say the main difference between the theatrical cut and the director's cut is basically uh, the director's cut not including the opening narration, which the studio insisted that director Alex Proyas put in to not have the audience confused early on. Mm. It's kind of the point for the mystery to, you know, sort of yeah. you know, get you on the edge a little bit. And you know, some additional footage, but not like whole scenes, just little shots within many other scenes throughout, you know, 11 minutes total, I think. Um, so I watched that version first, really liked it, not quite loved it, but really liked it. Uh, enough that I watched it again before the rental expired, and somewhere down the line, and uh, people were asking, you know, I, my family was asking me what I wanted for Christmas, and I was just like, well, I mean, just you know, Dark City on DVD. I don't care if it's Blu-ray or regular; just make sure the aspect ratio is preserved and such. Um, <laughs> so, nice. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so I have the DVD here, and it's the theatrical cut, but you know, right. I've watched it at least seven or eight times since then. So a ceaselessly rewatchable movie in my case. And that is a that is a great sell for it too. Is that it, you it's if something's endlessly rewatchable and you can get different things from it each time. I also have to say, Matthew, like the cinematography and the lighting in this movie lighting ironic. Um because it's dark. It's dark city. So there's not a lot of light here. Um, but it is uh, just exquisite. Um, and uh, like you said, one of the most remarkable things about it is that it is original. And um, you do th you do get that sense the whole time. Like, I'm watching something that must be from a graphic novel. I even thought that this time when I was watching it that it's like, this has to be. Because uh, it's so so meticulous and detailed. It seems like it's following a blueprint, you know, yeah. of some sort. And before somebody comes at us with, oh, this is not original, you know, yes, I know that Terry Gilliam's Brazil was released over a decade prior. And another thing I think what made this movie uh, overlooked at its time was that it was part of this trend in movies uh, back in the 90s where uh, mm. the main characters are suspicious of the world around them, that something's not quite right, something is fabricated like the truman show the 13th truman show yeah so which came out in the same year as dark city actually so 
Yeah, mm. when that has a more famous lead actor in this movie. So. Jim Carrey. Yep. And that was Peter Weir too. Yep, Peter. So it was a big name director as well. Yep. Um, I did. I did think of that when I watched it. I was like, "Oh yeah, this is similar to Truman Show." Yeah. yeah. So, but way cooler. I mean, those you can hardly even compare them in terms of the atmosphere yes. or the feeling about it. It's so different, and they're saying different things as well. Yeah. This is a more of a noir. Yes. Yes, and uh, and um, yeah, the Matrix. Uh, does use it was filmed on some of the same sets and of course yes. some of the same um kind of same lighting in some spots but it is it should be mentioned that these are two different creatures that the matrix um is more of an action movie with philosophical ideas but it's more inspired by the uh cyber tech cyberpunk aesthetic and you know Asian cinema, you know, Hong Kong kung fu action, where Dark City, it's a mystery noir piece or neo noir as something. Neo noir. Yeah, and mm-hmm. even taking some inspiration from uh, German expressionist horror films like uh, The Cabinet, Dr. Caligari, or you know, the work of Fritz Lang and Metropolis. You know, a lot of those classic movies, and the fact that yeah, there is some action in the movie, but it's more about. Yeah, the mystery and atmosphere, just. And it's also got kind of a sci-fi feel with the strangers yeah, too, absolutely. And the sort of underworld part of it feels um, not. I would say more sci-fi than horror yeah, to me. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I would definitely agree. It's not a horror movie, but it definitely right. has a, no like elements, visual elements of horror. But it's definitely more science fiction. But I just. It's, it'd be unfair to put it in that uh, sci-fi box, so to speak. Yeah, I I agree completely, and I th- I think that uh, if you've liked any if you like any of the movies that Matthew and I have mentioned, this will go well with you. And I think it's honestly superior to a bunch of them, even though they're of the same ilk, uh, philosophically or existentially, however you want to say that. I mean, it, it, there there is a scene with Kiefer Sutherland. Uh, where he's talking about identity and who who you are and what and what they're trying to get at what the what the villains are trying to do and it's very compelling um, and, and thought provoking. Yeah. Oh. So it's a heady movie. It is, um, and I think I know I keep bringing up uh, various reasons sprinkled throughout why this is overlooked, but I think another thing is that um, that like. Uh, I don't know, I'm not, I, excuse me, I can barely speak, but I think some people, at least regular movie watchers, might be hesitant to watch it, or maybe they just aren't that interested in seeing the movie, because, you know, or recommending it to people, because I think it's more cerebral than it is emotional, which mm. is a turnoff for some people, and that's fine. I mean, I can respect that, but... Uh, at the same time, it's just so exhilarating. And it's like, a, yes. I've always thought, I mean, and I just want to say, even if you're confused during the first time you watch this, I still see the experience, at least on an initial viewing, as similar to a uh, 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 crazy carnival ride or something like a trip through the fun house where you have these uh, trick mirrors and rotating hallways in a, believe it or not, museum. Uh, 
the second time you watch it, you understand more of the story. You pick up on certain clues and things are becoming clear. Uh, and it right. might take you another viewing to figure, uh, solve that as well. And the other time you watch it, it's just to appreciate every loving detail that goes into creating this. It, and it's wonderful. It's just yes. truly wonderful. It, it- it really is, and and it's Jennifer Connelly at her peak hotness in the nineties. I I stand Jaycon till the end. I, I I would always say if that is the only reason that you see something, that's that's a good enough reason. Yeah, I just because she's in it. Yeah. I love the intro. Oh, oh yeah, she's just drop dead gorgeous, always. Okay, now Matthew. So those are his two films. Seeking a friend for the end of the world in Dark City. Please see them for him. Um, they're they're great. And Matthew had pointed out to me, I just did this, but <laughs> that he wanted me to show my book that I have. So the the best film that you've never seen is the one that I'm reading. I'm watching a film a week from this. So I've done After Dark My Sweet and then Joe versus the Volcano, which I had already loved and seen. And then um this week I watched The Swimmer. <laughs> and the reason I did, so so this this book, he's interviewing directors uh and, and asking them like what is what movie do you consider your hidden gem? And Alex Proyas picked the swimmer. <laughs> so uh that's what I did for this this one. So it's a it's a double whammy. I took the director of one of your films that was his hidden gem. So you got to make it a double feature just to, just to be, they're wildly different. Um, and the swimmer's kind of a crazy film, crazy strange with Burt Lancaster, but, uh, that was his recommendation. So had to keep the symmetry going. All right. Well played. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Matthew, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. No problem. My pleasure too. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you for choosing good movies for for the watch list listers out there and uh we'll see you at the movies